My guest this week is Temple Melville, who runs Scottish cryptocurrency, ScotCoin. He delivers a simple blockchain and cryptocurrency 101 masterclass and talks about how ScotCoin developed and how you can get your hands on it. Welcome to episode 241 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy and keynote speaker from Edinburgh. Talk to me if you want to cut the BS and the complexity from your marketing strategy. Hello and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thank you, as always, for downloading or streaming the show. I really do appreciate you taking the time to plugging me and my guests into your earphones. And I especially appreciate it at the moment when in lockdown, there's so much going on. Listening to podcasts may not be your main priority at the moment. So thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. I have to admit, blockchain, Bitcoin a couple of subjects that I probably should have tackled on the show already, but I've sort of been avoiding it because, quite frankly, I find it really complicated. I've never been able to find anybody who can actually explain it to me in a really simple way. This week, however, Temple Melville comes to my rescue. He's a director of Scottish cryptocurrency, ScotCoin, and he finally manages to explain Bitcoin and blockchain in a simple manner. I can't say that I'm totally crystal clear on it, but I think I understand it a lot more than I did. And I'd be really interested to find out what you think after listening to this interview. So let's get straight into that interview with Temple right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Temple, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Roger, very good afternoon to you. Very delighted to be here with you. Thanks for coming on the show, Temple. Now, today we're going to talk about ScotCoin, and this is a company you're involved with. It's uh, it's a cryptocurrency uh, along the lines of Bitcoin, and in fairness, I have to admit that I know very, very little about this area of technology. And even though this is the Marketing and Finance podcast, it's not really an area that I've covered at all. So I'm really glad you're going to come on the show and and put me to rights on some of the technicalities that go on around this uh, particular subject. But before we get into that, Temple, give me a little bit of background about yourself, where you came from, how your career developed, and, and basically what makes Temple Melville tick? Um, I'm not sure that uh, that I do take that well nowadays, um, but the uh, originally I studied economics and mathematics at uh, university at the London School of Economics, and that left me with a great love of uh, cryptography and maths and various other aspects of what I would describe as the esoteric uh, mathematical life that people sometimes lead. Um, I spent a lot of my life uh, involved in property and I gave that up about uh, 10 or 12 years ago. And uh, I moved pretty much when Bitcoin started, so that would be 2009. Pretty much then I moved into being interested in cryptocurrencies. And of course, at the time there was actually very little, well, relatively little information. There was the white paper that Satoshi Nakamoto had had produced, and that was about it. And uh, slowly but surely, 3rd of January, 2009, uh, was when the very first Bitcoin was mined. And uh, I didn't have the first one, but I probably had somewhere around about the beginning of 2010 
and I would think I probably bought my first Bitcoin. And I have to say that subsequently I sold them years and years ago and I wish I'd kept them because they'd be worth a lot more. But I think everybody who's been involved with Bitcoin has the same kind of theory about that. I, I naively assume that this all kicked off around about, I don't know, 2016, 2017, because that's when it became mainstream in the media, media perhaps. Well, there was a, there's a reason for that. Um, Bitcoin's uh, trajectory, if I can use that word, has been uh, a series of waves, as in shooting up and dropping back down and shooting up again and dropping back down. And the, uh, the you're talking about 2016, 2017 was the time when Bitcoin went absolutely crazy. In fact, at the end of 2017 was the absolute point. Of, it was really the point of no return. The Bitcoin was up at $20,000. Uh, which was a completely unsustainable price anyway, but mm. um, it subsequently fell back again. But at that time, from, say, really the whole of 2017, uh, there was a huge interest and uh, uh, sort of a plethora of mainstream media and other uh, online media uh, discussion about Bitcoin, and it was going to $100,000 and all this nonsense. Um, and th that, as you say, quite rightly, is when I think lots of people became aware of it. Having said that, even then, there probably weren't more than, and this sounds like a big number, but it's not really, uh, 50 million people knew about uh, blockchain and Bitcoin. Mm. And in fact, one of the, the more interesting things is that I, when I give my talks, I always start out by saying, saying who knows about Bitcoin, who knows about blockchain. And invariably, most people don't realize that blockchain and Bitcoin are two different things. Mm. Um, I mean, uh, the way I put it is that blockchain is an enabling uh, uh, system whereby uh, you can put transactions and data and so on onto a blockchain. Bitcoin could not exist without the blockchain. The blockchain could exist perfectly happily without the Bitcoin. So it's quite an interesting um, sort of tie-up um, that, uh, you know, it's a, it's a symbiosis, if you like, of the two things. I think I was aware that blockchain effectively underpins Bitcoin, but perhaps I hadn't really appreciated the synergy or the, or the symbiosis, as you, as you put it there. So, so maybe we should actually go right back to basics. So explain blockchain to me. If you use blockchain, it's a very private method of communication. Would I be right on that? Um, yes and no. As with all things, it's not quite as simple as that. Um, the, the point is that if you use a blockchain and you only transact from one individual to another, mm. then yes, it is entirely a closed uh, circuit between those two people. If uh, you go onto an exchange to transact for whatever reason, then you have to go through KYC, know your customer, and AML, anti-money laundering uh, regulations. And uh, basically speaking, any exchange anywhere in the world now, you have to do that. Um, but I think the important thing to remember here is that the, the blockchain itself can be used for, I mean, so many different things. Um, the, the way I always look at it is, is that, the important thing is that if you're going to transfer coin, as in Bitcoin, um, then you can't transfer the same coin more than once uh, 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 until you've actually done something else with it. So, for example, if you've got a pound in your pocket and I give you the pound, uh, the pound has gone from my pocket into your pocket and uh, my pocket's got nothing in it. Now, the important thing about digital uh 
items and so on is that you can replicate them endlessly. Um, and the, the great thing about them is that you also want them to be the same. You don't want to uh, listen to a, a nice song on the radio and decide that you want to buy it. And then when you buy it, you discover it's got a different ending uh, or a book similarly. So uh, the great thing about uh, the blockchain and about technology generally is that you can replicate things digitally, uh, absolutely accurately and without change. Now, the problem is you do have to change if you are transferring coin. Mm. So this is what uh, happened in uh, 2009, is that the what's called the double spend problem was solved by the people who originally set up um, Bitcoin blockchains. Um, I think it's worth remembering that uh, the blockchain as such grew out of Linux. And I think probably most people will have heard of Linux operating systems. In the sort of 1990s and 2000s and so on, Linux was doing lots and lots of very interesting work in all sorts of areas to do with computing and so on. Um, and they had people all over the world doing it. It wasn't just all sitting in a little office in London or somewhere. They were, they were literally all over the world, and lots of them didn't even speak English, or at least not well enough. And the requirement was, obviously, that they all knew exactly where they were and where they were working at any given point. So the system was set up so that uh, the information uh, in respect of the work that was being done was transmitted to everyone who was doing that work at the same time. So at making it up at 9.01 this morning, uh, a certain amount of data was transferred to the 200 people that were working on that particular problem, and they all knew exactly where they were, and they also knew exactly where they had to start from. Similarly, when they finished at night, where they, wherever they got to, uh, again, that was transmitted to everyone. And that is basically what the blockchain does. It transmits the information to everyone at the same time so that it's always available to be seen. Um, so, yes, you can transfer uh, things around without anybody knowing about it. But in practical terms nowadays, that's really quite difficult. And what's the difference between blockchain and any other form of communication. So you say it's transferring information around. So what's the difference between that and just the internet or a messaging app or something like that? Well, the, the, the thing about um, blockchain is that it's what they call immutable. Now, what that means is that when you have um, input some information uh, and that information has been verified, and I'll talk about that more later, uh, that information cannot then be changed. So, for example, there's some poor child who had all her information when she was born put onto the uh, uh, Bitcoin blockchain, and that will remain there forever. And people will always be able to tell exactly when she was born and how much she weighed and how much hair she had and all the rest of it. Um, but no one can change that. So if you, if you put in something that's incorrect, for example, if you say your eyes are brown and actually they're blue, uh, that will remain there forever. You cannot change what has been put in. You can put in, uh, obviously, a subsequent correction, if you like, but the original information will still remain there and still be the same. But you can't actually change that information. So it's a really important uh, aspect of uh, particularly uh, cryptocurrencies that there is no possibility of somebody uh, doing a second transaction with the same coin. 
And one of the important points to remember here is that there is no such thing as a Bitcoin. Mm. There, there is no coin. There isn't something you can hold. There isn't even something that you can see uh, in, a, in a computer somewhere. It is just a string of transaction information that says this has passed from A to B or whatever it might be. Um, and that's very important to remember because uh, it's not uh, something you can uh, physically do anything with. It's only because it's on the blockchain and it's being transferred in code from one person to another. But then again, these days, most of us have, you know, maybe we have a pocket full of change. I've got a couple of pound coins in my pocket, a couple of two pound coins. So that's physical currency. But the majority of the money that I have is in a bank account. Um, most of the transactions that I do are either over uh, debit cards, uh, through PayPal. So that money is is virtual money, isn't it? In, in, is that not the same as, as Bitcoin? Uh, in some ways it is. Um, the, the thing to remember here is that uh, if, if you go into a shop and you buy something with a credit card or a debit card, um, the shopkeeper is relying on a third party to give him whatever the price is. So in other words, you give the credit card, the credit card company takes the money from your bank account, um, it then transfers the money into the bank account of the vendor, um, and everybody's quite happy about that. The point is there is a third party in the middle of the transaction, sometimes more than one, sometimes two or three, uh, in the middle of the transaction, every one of whom is taking what they call a clip, uh, in other words, a, a little bit of money for doing the transaction. Now, with Bitcoin, uh, you, I can pass money from me to the shopkeeper absolutely direct with nobody in between. Uh, the blockchain guarantees that that money will transfer into your account. And actually, one of the nice things about blockchain and Bitcoin is, um, you know, people are always saying, oh, it's in the post and stuff like that. Well, the point is, once you press the send button on a Bitcoin transaction or a, a cryptocurrency transaction, you cannot reverse it. it all, there's no claim backs. There's no nothing. Um, the money will transfer into the account that it's been sent to. In itself is quite an important point. But, uh, but the people who operate Bitcoin, are they not the same sort of vendors like there are credit cards and like there are banks controlling what's going on? So are they not taking a cut out of this from some, some respect? The, uh, the, well, you, the, you slightly misconstrue how blockchain works there. Mm. Uh, blockchain, or the blockchain or a blockchain is worked by quite a large number of people who are called miners. Now, that's a very bad term in my <laughs> Uh, view it should be validators and the validators are basically uh, computers which are scattered all over the world and yes they take uh, a tiny 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 fraction um, for example I think uh, uh, I think I'm right in saying that the least you can pay on a credit card is round about one and a half to two percent now that in fact you don't feel that because you don't pay it. But the person in the shop does. He's paying two and a half, two, you know, one and a half, two percent, two and a half percent, sometimes more, every time somebody comes in and uses a credit card. The same transaction or even any kind of transaction would perhaps only cost a couple of cents or a couple of pennies. Um, and the other point about that is that if you have, if you do, for example, a transaction for a hundred pounds uh, on a credit card, that'll cost £1.50. If you do it for £200, it'll be £3. If you do it for £1,000, it'll be £15 or £20 and so on. 
with cryptocurrency, it's not. It's if it's if the transaction is making it up uh, five pennies, uh, it'll be five pennies whether it's a million or a billion. It won't make any difference. It's tiny, um, and that is a very again a very important point about cryptocurrencies that they are a very very efficient way of transferring value from A to B, um, and the people who uh, operate uh, the uh, they're called nodes, but they're basically computers uh, in the system um, are all uh, rewarded from the Bitcoin uh, pool, for lack of a better expression. Um, when you complete a block, if you are the person who completes the block, at the moment you get 12 and a half Bitcoin. So that's in round terms about $125,000 for completing that particular block. Um, so that's why there are all these people busy trying to uh, complete the algorithms and so on to make uh, make their bitcoins. And is it the fact that there are only a finite number of bitcoins out there, and once they've all been mined, then there will not be any more left? That is absolutely correct. Um, the uh, the bitcoin protocol specifically states there will be twenty one million bitcoin mined in total. Um, uh, but the, uh, that isn't going to happen until about 2140. And the reason for that is that, uh, the, well, I should perhaps give you a little bit of information about the blockchain itself. It's called a blockchain because you have blocks of data. And into those, the, the three parts to the block, you have what's called the incoming hash, which is the information from all over the uh, system telling you what has happened before. The second part is the information you input. In other words, you say, I'm sending money to this person and that person and doing this and that. And that then fills up that block. And when that block is full, it then sends that information on a one-way ticket to the next block. And that's why it's called a blockchain, because you have a series of blocks that are all linked in a chain. Uh, so one of those blocks at the moment, uh, they started out when in 20, 2009 that you got 50 Bitcoin for completing each block. And every so many blocks, uh, that quantity halves. It's roughly every four years. So in other words, it then dropped down to 25 Bitcoin per block. At the moment, it's 12 and a half Bitcoin per block. And that will again half uh, around about May uh, this year. So that'll go down from 12 and a half to 6.25 Bitcoin. So you can see, although there are currently there's around 17 million Bitcoin actually issued. It's going to take a very long time because of what they call halving, which is what it does every so many years, uh, to actually get up to the 21 million. So that's why it will be 2140 before, uh, or around about 2140 before it actually extinguishes the number of Bitcoin uh, being mined. One of the things that, again, you pick up from the media, and I'm the first person to say you shouldn't read, you shouldn't believe what you read in the media, but obviously pound sterling, US dollars, the euro, supposedly these are backed by government. Technically, there should be a whole stack of gold bars hidden in a vault somewhere to back up the <laughs> currency. And people say, but with Bitcoin, it hasn't got that, you know, that backup. So it could just completely disappear and you could lose all the money that you've invested. Again, I'm, I'm sure that there's a, there's a myth and a reality around that suggestion. Well, I think there's two or three things there. The first is that um, the, uh, the reason that pounds, dollars, euros, etc. have value 
has really got nothing to do with the fact of the governments because the governments could just print more. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they, you know, they did. I mean, I, funnily enough, I was reading a thing the other day about the 2008 crash. And, uh, you know, the U.S. Treasury printed 600 billion. In other words, very nearly. In fact, it was more than that in total. But they printed very nearly a trillion dollars to help everybody get out. Yeah. And that not only helped the Americans, it helped the whole of the world. The Americans are very good at doing that sort of thing. Um, you can say, well, that proves that they're standing behind it. And the short answer to that is, yes, they are. But there are now too many dollars in the world. And in fact, if, um, as with this coronavirus, for example, there are people who are uh, who have derivatives in dollar terms and the people who actually own the dollars that they're using for derivatives want their dollars back, then there's going to be an incredible increase in the value of the dollar. And that will have a huge, huge effect on the world economy. The, the, the point about the uh, fiduciary uh, rectitude about all this is that, in fact, there is a very precise, and the, 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 sorry, I should have said that the, the printing of all these dollars and other currencies, as they did in the UK, was 350 million pounds, I think, from memory. And the euro was similarly, you know, hundreds of millions of euros is that this is inflationary. Now, we haven't seen a lot of inflation recently. It's been very muted for a variety of reasons. But eventually, uh, and this is going back to my old economics, uh, eventually, when you print more money and you have more to buy things with, you will eventually force those prices up. And that is called inflation. Mm -hmm. Now, the whole point about cryptocurrencies is that they are effectively mildly deflationary because there are fewer and fewer of them being minted. Therefore, the value holds and goes up. You're quite correct. There isn't anybody who is standing behind the Bitcoins and saying, uh, yeah, I'm going to do this or do that, whatever. But there's something like 35 million people in the world who uh, actually hold or use Bitcoins in one way, shape, form or another. And in exactly the same way that you know foreign currency traders trade coin, trade uh, currencies backwards and forwards, um, that is what happens with, with cryptocurrencies. It's another asset class. So, for example, I mean, I, I'm not exactly sure of the precise figures, but let's just say that the uh, markets in London trade with something like $5 trillion worth of uh, foreign exchange every day. Well, there isn't $5 trillion worth of trade actually taking place. It is purely financial transactions. In fact, I doubt there is $1 trillion. There might not even be half a trillion for all I know a day of goods moving around that need paid for. Uh, the same thing applies to cryptocurrencies. Uh, the, the turnover of cryptocurrencies is very high. It's uh, something like about 40% of the total value on a daily basis. Now, that what that means is that people are trading coin backwards and forwards for a variety of reasons. Um, and it's exactly the same way as they do with uh, um, euros and pounds and dollars and all the rest of it. So it's not, it's, it's, you know, I, my view is that the price is going up. Your view is the price is going down. So you sell it and I buy it. And that's the way it works. So Bitcoin, we know it's a fine out number, but OK, it's not going to run out until 2040 or, or even further mm. into the future. But you're behind a different cryptocurrency, Scott Coin. So tell me how that came about. I'll take you right back to the very beginning. Uh, Scotcoin was founded by a chap called Derek Nisbet. Now, Derek Nisbet is a, an, an IT expert um, who was interested in Scottish independence. 
And in 2013, he decided that it would be a very good idea uh, to have a Scottish currency that was usable in the event of independence in case, you know, the pound wasn't usable or this wasn't usable or whatever. And he therefore created Scotcoin. And Scotcoin is created in exactly the same way as uh, Bitcoin was created on its own blockchain. You know, it was it was there for all intents and purposes to be used if there was a problem. Now, the, the difficulty with with Derek, who's a very nice chap, who actually I just saw again for some, for, I haven't seen him for about a year, but I just saw him the other day, uh, is that he was uh, just on his own. He was a one man band, um, and basically, it's impossible to run uh, these kind of projects with just one person. Um, so. He, uh, once the referendum was lost, he obviously became less interested in the whole thing. Um, And myself and two other people uh, bought him out of the IP for Scott Coin and also for quite a large amount of the coin that he held. Now, he had also, he had some problems with security because, again, he was a one-man band and he changed uh, the blockchain on which Scott Coin sat from his own, um, if you like, proprietary blockchain onto the Bitcoin blockchain. So at the moment, we, uh, Scottcoin, sit on what's called the counterparty blockchain, uh, sorry, the counterparty protocol, which is the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, And that is, you know, the longest um, existing blockchain, and it's the one that everybody thinks of as the most secure, and it's the one that most people talk about when they talk about the blockchain. However, uh, one of the things you alluded to earlier was this about people making it private and all the rest of it. Um, Several years ago, we took the decision that governments and regulatory authorities were not going to be prepared to allow uh, anybody to transfer money all over the place without knowing where it came from, who it came by and how it was made and whether or not it was taxed. You know, it just wasn't going to be allowed. Um, So we very rapidly after we became involved, uh, took the decision that we would have to move to a new coin, which would in fact be AML, anti-money laundering and KYC, know your customer, certified if you like. So you wouldn't be able then to use the coin unless you had actually gone through those processes. And that would mean that at any given time, if somebody came along and said, we need to know where that million pounds came from, we could tell them it wouldn't be a difficult thing to do. That's the, the journey of Scottcoin. But the, the other thing to mention is that Scottcoin, because of its foundation in 2013, early 2014, is actually the longest lived of what one would describe as country coins. Uh, there's also there's Irish coin, there's Catalan coin. Uh, there's one or two others round about, but they're all much, much later than Scottcoin. We are the oldest, so we're quite proud of that. And just looking at the website, um, it looks really easy to get started. I just have to download a smartphone app. And I can presumably start spending my Scott coin. Uh, well, that's right. Um, well, there's, there's two points about that. It's, it is very easy to download a wallet. Uh, we have um, videos on uh, uh, YouTube of how to do that. We also have a, on the uh, website itself, we have a how to download a wallet if you want to put it onto your laptop or whatever. It's very, very simple. You end up with a, well, there's two important points about it. Your wallet has what's called a 12-word passphrase. And the important thing to remember, again, this is all part of the security of the blockchain and so on. If you lose those 12 words or you forget them or you put them in in the wrong order or anything like that, you have lost your wallet. You will not be able to access your wallet. 
ever again. And I always say to people, if you're doing this, never mind if it's Scott Coin or anything, take a photograph of the 12 words and write them down in two separate places and make sure that you can always get to them because otherwise you ain't going to have your coins anymore. Uh, but actually, it's very easy. And we, we find ourselves that uh, uh, by getting people to download a wallet, because people, people have a sort of, um, uh, I suppose, an understandable uh, slight fear and trepidation about, uh, you know, pressing buttons and doing things on a computer. You never quite know what's going to happen. Um, but we found in the past that people, once they actually download the wallet and receive coin, then they're very much on board with the whole project because they understand how easy it is and how simple it is to then transfer money backwards and forwards. And again, if you want to find out how to transfer the money to somebody else, uh, there is a video on our, our uh, YouTube channel. Goodness gracious, a password with 12 words in it. You don't remember that. You have it somewhere written down and you then, uh, you know, use it, um, whatever. But you can actually on the on the app, on the, on the phone, it is actually entered in that. So you don't have to remember it every time. And are there a finite number of Scott coins in the same way that there is a finite number of there Bitcoins? Are, there are a finite number. It's, it's rather more. There's a billion at the moment. That's quite a lot, obviously. But in fact, the we quote in... Uh, so much per thousand. So at the moment, we're roughly speaking £20 per thousand. Uh, you can buy on our exchange for less than that, but that's around about £20 per thousand on exchanges. We have, in fact, not rushed out to sign up lots and lots of people to take Scott Coin for the simple reason that we knew we were going to move to a, a new coin, a, a version three, if you like, uh, of the coin. Um, and therefore, we have slightly held fire over getting lots of people to do that. But you can go to the Arlington Bar, for example, in Glasgow and buy a pint of beer for, uh, for Scott Coin. Um, there's other places as well you can use it for different things. Uh, and there will be many, many more of those when we move to the new coin. I was going to ask that, whether I could pop down to the uh, fort at New Craig Hall, uh, go into the next and buy myself a new pair of shoes with Scott Coin. But I guess we're not quite as quite quite there yet. But I'll remember the Arlington Bar in Glasgow. It's one of my favourite places. Yeah. Well, one of the more interesting ones is, and I don't quite know how this really came to work, I suppose it's just a connection we had, um, that there is a, a group of uh, Indian restaurants in Fife, uh, or Fife region anyway, who are... Uh, there's about 30 of them, I think, who are desperate to start taking Scott Coin, but of course they can't until the new one comes out. But they're they're, they're very much at the front of the uh, front of the queue to actually use it in their in their locations. Temple, this has been really really interesting. And as I said to you right at the start, my knowledge of blockchain and Bitcoin, Scott Coin, etc., cryptocurrencies was pretty pretty small. You've filled in a lot of the gaps today. I think I understand it a little bit better. Might even be tempted to download the app. But what would you say as we come towards the end of our conversation? What's the one thing that you would like the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast to take away from your experience with blockchain and cryptocurrencies? I think I started this journey because I wanted everybody in Scotland to be better off. Uh, again, this is a little bit of history. There's a thing in Switzerland called Wir, which means we in German, but it stands for something. I have no idea what it is in German. And basically, that is a cryptocurrency that's been in Switzerland since the 1930s. Now, Wir stands beside the Swiss franc. It's not an ex It's not separate. Uh, sorry, it's not exclusively taking out the Swiss franc. But you can go into a shop and you can buy something with, you know, 100 Swiss francs and 50 Wir, for example. Now, uh, that is traded throughout Switzerland. There are now something like half a million 
Scot, uh, sorry, Swiss who actually use Veer. There's something like 70,000 um, businesses that take it, uh, and it transacts about two and a half or three billion Swiss francs a year. So that is a significant uh, impact on the Swiss economy. And if we could do anything, even 10% of that in Scotland would be fantastic. So I'm saying to you, the thing we need to do is to have more and more people who hold Scotcoin are prepared to use it. And uh, we believe very strongly that that will benefit Scotland as a whole. So assuming that somebody listening to the show is going to want to get in touch with you, maybe to maybe to find out a little bit more about how Scotcoin works, what's the best way that they should get in touch? Well, the simple way is to send me an email. My email address is temple, that's T-E-M-P-L-E, at scottcoinproject, all one word, dot com. Temple at scottcoinproject.com. Please drop me a line. Uh, I'd be delighted to answer any questions and help you with anything that you would like help with. Um, and um, if you want to mention that you heard me on this podcast, that would be really brilliant. Fantastic. As I say, Temple, this was a really interesting conversation. Thanks for coming on the show. I'll include the link um, to your email address in the show notes of the podcast, which you can find at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash M-A-F. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash M-A-F. Temple, again, thanks for coming on the show. Hopefully, sometime soon, I'll be able to buy you a beer in the Arlington Bar with my Scott Coin. I shall look forward to it, Roger, and thank you very much for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. I'll catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.